0: Good morning. My name is Paige Swain Presley, and I am so thankful to be here with all of you this morning. As you heard earlier, I serve as the director of the Center for Ministry and the associate chaplain at Millsaps College, where our president, Rob Perigen, our chaplain and director of church relations, Joey Shelton, and our campus minister, Reed McCaleb. I'll also send their greetings to you this morning. Thank you again for welcoming me. I know that last Sunday, St. Luke's began a sermon series on the life of Paul. And in his sermon last week, Ricky shared that Paul was and remains one of the most important figures in not just Christian, but in world history. Paul who was both an educated Jewish religious leader and a Roman citizen, was responsible for much of early Christianity's missionary activity, including much of the outreach to Gentiles, to people like us. After a dramatic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and after many years of ministry in his home province, Paul set out on a missionary journey. A few years into this endeavor, Paul began to sense the Holy Spirit leading him to Macedonia in Europe. And so he and his colleague Silas traveled to the Roman colonial city of Philippi. And there, they began to help establish the Christian church. This is where our story from Acts chapter 16 picks up today. One day, as Paul and his colleagues were headed to pray, they encounter a woman who has been enslaved. The author of Acts tells us that this woman has a spirit which enables her to predict the future and that this is very, very profitable for her masters. This enslaved woman begins to follow Paul around making a nuisance of herself and announcing everywhere he and his cohort went that they were serving the Most High God, which Roman listeners probably would have interpreted to be Zeus, not the God we know. This annoys Paul so much that eventually he turns to the woman and in the name of Jesus Christ commands the spirit to leave her. She is immediately set free from her spiritual captivity. But when her owners realize that their revenue stream has dried up, they are not pleased. They grab Paul and Silas. They drag them into the center of the city where court is held. And perhaps because they cast a fortune-telling spirit out of my slave does not make a, a promising legal case for them, they instead turn people's attention to Paul and Silas's Jewishness. Their economically motivated anti-Semitic rhetoric works up a mob who beat Paul and Silas severely until the authorities drag them off to jail. Those same authorities instruct the jailer To lock these two severely beaten men in the most secure, the most miserable, the most smelly and lonely and dark part of the prison. The innermost cell. And there the jailer leaves them with their feet in stocks. Hours pass. It's midnight. Dark. Cold. Late. The two men are injured. And yet, we find Paul and Silas awake in their cell, praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners around them are listening. And all at once, a violent earthquake shakes the very foundations of the prison. The prison doors fly open and the shackles fall away from the prisoner's hands and feet. The jailer, assuming that his inmates have taken advantage of this occurrence to escape, knows that his life is forfeit. And so he prepares to kill himself with his own sword. In that moment, Paul shouts, Don't hurt yourself. We're all here. The jailer, amazed, falls trembling before Paul and Silas, and he cries out, What must I do to be saved? Probably just meaning, What do I have to do to ensure that my life is spared? But Paul answers him with a bigger, better response. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your whole household, because of what has happened. The earthquake, the doors, the shackles, and most of all, that in spite of this, these men have have remained in place to save him. The jailer believes Paul and Silas's words. He tends to their wounds. He welcomes them into his own home. And there he immediately has himself and his whole household baptized in the name of Jesus. There is so much going on in this story, isn't there? The liberation of an enslaved young woman, an exorcism, the miracle at the prison, the salvation of the jailer and his household. But in all of that, as I read this text again and again in preparation for this morning, what stood out most to me was this simple image. I want you to see it in your mind's eye. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. At the midnight hour of an unjust and miserable imprisonment, these two people are singing hymns and praying. I have to be honest. I do not know that that's what I would have been doing in their situation. But, but if you were in that dark prison cell... What would you be singing? What would be your song to God? Would it be, it is well with my soul? Would it be, Lord, won't you help me? Would it be amazing grace? Or I want Jesus to walk with me? What would you be singing? And what what were Paul and Silas singing? Most commentators over the years have assumed that Paul and Silas were singing songs of praise and thanksgiving, the equivalent of oh for a thousand tongues to sing. And that is possibly true. The text, though, our scripture, says nothing so specific as that. It just says they were singing hymns. And so as faithful Jewish men, I imagine that like Jesus, Paul and Silas sang some psalms, maybe even including some psalms of suffering and despair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in addition to the psalms, Those early believers, like all of us today, also composed and shared songs of their own. Hymns about Jesus, their Lord. One of those most famous early hymns, in fact, is one that we know about from Paul himself. You see, long after this first missionary journey to Philippi concluded... Paul wrote a letter back to the churches he had founded there. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians from yet another prison cell. Maybe even the one in Rome awaiting his death. I imagine that as he sat in that jail cell, writing his letter to the Philippian church Paul could not help but remember his first time in prison, back when he had visited Philippi. Maybe that's why in his letter to these Philippians, Paul again turns to prayer and to hymns. In chapter 2 of the letter to the Philippians, Paul quotes to them and records for us a portion of one of the church's very first hymns. A song that expressed the heart of what he and they believed to be true and most important about Jesus Christ. I want to share the portion of that hymn that Paul quoted with you, beginning with Philippians chapter 2 verse 6. Speaking of Jesus Christ, Paul says, who and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the hymn that Paul quotes, that Paul sends back to the Philippians. What does this hymn say? about the church's heart, what they believed to be true about Jesus and therefore about God? Well, first, it reminds us that Jesus is so humble and so caring that although he is God, rather than exploiting that power for his own benefit, he humbled himself and was born among us. Then, although even... As a human being, he had the power to avoid suffering and pain. He instead chose to embrace the cross for the sake of fulfilling God's mission with us. And finally, in his resurrection and exaltation, Christ holds power over every corner of the cosmic creation. And because this is who Jesus is, Paul writes to the Philippians, they should therefore... And so, as I imagine Paul quoting this hymn to the Philippians as he writes from one of his final imprisonments, I can't help but wonder, what if this is the same hymn that Paul and Silas were singing in that darkest hour of their first time in prison when they were in Philippi? It is, after all, a hymn that expresses the heart of the early church's beliefs. It is a song Paul would have known, a song about who Jesus is and what he did, and therefore who his followers should be. It is a hymn that Paul remembers and recites when he again writes to the Philippians years later, from yet another prison. And this hymn is absolutely a song that shakes the very foundations everything in this world is built on. It shatters the edifices constructed by every cosmic power and every earthly principality. The order of the Roman Empire, of all worldly empires and powers, is built on the belief that power is something to be exploited for personal gain. The same way the slave owners exploited the young girl in this story from Acts. The forces of despair around us and in us profit from the wishful thinking that a godly life should protect us from all pain and suffering. The forces of sin and death in this world whisper to us that this world's pain and death are ultimate. But this song that Paul sings to the Philippians says no to all of that. The Jesus in Paul's hymn shakes the foundations of a world that's built on self-serving power and instead lifts Jesus up, the essence of humility. When Jesus chooses to embrace the cross for our liberation, he opens those doors that we so often close between ourselves and God whenever we experience suffering and sorrow. The Jesus in this hymn frees us from the shackles of fear and death, and leads us and all of creation into salvation. This is the same Jesus whose resurrection shook the very gates of hell. So is it any wonder then that as Paul and Silas pray and sing hymns about this Jesus in their jail cell that the earth shakes, the prison doors fly open, And the prisoner's shackles fall loose. Is it any wonder that the jailer, after he sees the way they use their freedom, not exploiting it to escape, but instead remaining in place to save his life, is it any wonder that he immediately embraces Jesus as Lord? Salvation comes to Paul and Silas, to the jailer and his household in the end, not because Paul and Silas are singing songs of praise with their lips, but because they are living them with their lives. This hymn isn't just part of what Paul writes to the Philippians retrospectively many years later. It's not just a song he sings, maybe in jail one night. It's who he is. It's in everything he does. This notion of who Jesus is, from liberating a woman who is enslaved to worldly and otherworldly powers, to suffering for the gospel, to saving lives, and inviting jailers and Gentiles into the faith, Paul is who he is because this is who he knows Christ to be. He sings this Christ song with his whole life. And we are invited by Christ to sing this hymn with our whole lives too. We are invited to pray it and sing it in good times and in difficult ones. To make this song our dark midnight cry and our morning hymn. When we sing the song of Christ with our lives when we are humble like Jesus, putting the good of others above our own desires for power or comfort. When we hold one another in Christ-like love and when, like Jesus, we turn toward God in our most difficult moments. Then the power of the Holy Spirit in us is earth The foundations of all that is corrupt in this world still shake. The doors to a million prisons within us and around us still fly open. And the chains that bind us and that divide us from one another still fall away. When this is the song of our lives, when people see in us the humble, self-giving, death-defeating, liberating Lord, They will see in us, just as that jailer saw in Paul, a Jesus they long to know. May you go forth from this place with all of your lives, bearing witness to the song of Jesus Christ. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.